This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room, Mario. How are you? Philip, thank you so much for having me. I am doing fantastic, feeling alive, feeling free, and very excited to speak with both of you today. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, the three of us have had uh, a very fun time before we hit record. It may <laughs> never hit the uh, the actual airwaves, what took place, but... Uh, <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> but uh, but on, the, on the bright side of things, we do have a chance to actually do share something with the people who are listening. And my favorite thing to kick things off when it comes to these kinds of conversations is finding out if you yourself come from a family of entrepreneurs. That's a great question. And the answer is yes. My parents started a and ran an Italian restaurant in Germany for 30 years. So very much so. Oh, super cool. Okay. All right. So what do you feel like you took from that, being able to watch that growing up? I mean, I would say the basics that pretty much everyone says, hard work, determination, perseverance, and I'd say also a really great sense of passion. I remember my my dad was sort of the figure of the, the, the face of the restaurant. And many people came just to be with him because he was, he was like dancing through the tables in the kitchen. You could see him. He was always in a, in a great mood. And people loved that energy. They, he, they fed of that energy. So I, I would say passion and being involved with what you're doing and, and developing intimate relationships with the people that you're working with. Those are like some big pillars that I work, that I learned that really helped me create a lot of success. You know, it's funny is I get that same energy uh, just from like our initial, before we hit record, I could almost tell right away, uh, you were happy to be a host when and wherever you are. Uh, so <laughs> I can see how that, how that, how that stayed with you, but you didn't take over the family business, did you? Nope. That uh, answer uh, took me about 1.5 seconds when my dad asked me, would you like to take it over? <laughs> nope, 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 no thanks. And, and the reason is, is you know, my, my parents, especially my dad, they were married with the restaurant. They were yeah. always in there. One day a week uh, they took off. And, uh, you know, my dad was good at, good about drawing boundaries and going on holiday. But still, you know, it's like all day, every day in, in that place there. And for me, the world was calling. I felt uh, I, I was smelling a sense of freedom. And to me, that kind of a business model didn't allow me to have the freedom. Back then, I didn't understand it could, you know, have multiple restaurants, hire chefs and whatnot. Um, but for me, it was just not not an option. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, this is, uh, this is going somewhere really good. Uh, but before I go there. Uh, it's uh, Jason also grew up, uh, you know, in a family of entrepreneurs and similar, like the hard work and things of that nature. So I, I'm really curious to hear uh, how you feel some of those parallels carry over in your own life too, Jason, like what you see with Mario. Yeah, I was pretty much the same thing with me growing up. I grew up on a farm as a farm kid. And, you know, my mom had a lot of different businesses in town. I lived in a town where if you blinked, you missed it. And <laughs> 
was like maybe 200 people in my hometown. And so, yeah, I got through high school and my dad was like, well, hey, do you want to run the farm? And I was like, nope. (laughs) 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 Not just no, nope. (laughs) Absolutely not. Right. So, and then my path took me other directions. Right. But, but uh, it's interesting because I watched my dad with uh, finance management and a little red notebook, right? All that kind of stuff. They didn't have technology to do all that stuff then, right? And But I learned a lot of good lessons from it. I learned a lot of what not to do, <laughs> for sure, right? In business. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't say that in a, in a mean way. It's just he, he knew what he knew at the time, right? So... And he did a great job managing what he did manage at the time, right? It kept the family fed and all that good stuff. And that's what mattered. But at at the end of the day, I think you hit a turning point in your life where you watch your folks or uncles or aunts or whatever, right? And you, you pretty much make a decision that life, there's probably something better for you, right? Because my kids are three and six and I just think of what they're going to think of dad's business when they're older, when they're 16, 17 years old, are they going to go, Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> right. Because so much will have changed and it makes you wonder if we will develop with the change or will we stay where we are? Right. And then there's that dynamic there between all that, that uh, I think makes a big difference when children want to be a part of something or not. So, yeah, I very much understand the dynamic of your background because mine is very similar for sure. Yeah. For me, what, what I'm curious about now is knowing that we've learned that about your journey, Mario. At some point, when you smelled that freedom, you decided to take a, a leap because every entrepreneur has to, at some point, quite literally jump off a cliff and leave behind almost everything they know. Lots of friends, you know, lots of uh, previous uh, obligations, potentially all for the sake of, of El Dorado, as they say. So what was that moment for you? That's a great question. And, and, and there are several for me in my life. And you know, I want to bring some awareness to the topic of why we become entrepreneurs and why we do what we do. And before I became a full-fledged entrepreneur, I became I was on my way to becoming a pilot in Germany. And the only reason I chose the path was because I wanted significance. I didn't feel significant on the inside. If you had known me at the time, you wouldn't have been able to tell. Because on the outside, it all looked perfect, you know, great guy, good looks, good grades, good friends, all of that. But in the inside, I always felt like somehow I wasn't good enough. So I tried to cope uh, for that. And so I picked the thing that I found most people respected the most. Be- becoming a pilot in Germany for Lufthansa is like going to NASA and becoming an astronaut. You're a made man. And I chose the path. And I became desperately miserable, uh, severely depressed, uh, chronic back pain, almost killed myself. And then I realized, it's like, wait a minute, I ticked all the boxes that society tells you to tick, you know, and here I am absolutely miserable. 
And what was missing for me all this whole time was a sense of freedom, was a sense of being me in the environment that I chose to be in. And that eventually catapulted me onto the path of leaving Germany. And that was after then I studied business management and I went off to New York. And I still remember I, I was there for an overseas semester and I had to find an internship. And I found a young founder who had just started with his idea for custom shoe brand, all in sundry. And I said, hey, man, I need an internship. But would you be open to me becoming your business partner and your founding partner if I work my ass off? And if you think what you, what you get is great. And he said, sure, you got a big mouth. But let's see if, you know, what you say has any substance to it. So I did bust my ass and then really just go hard and, and worked. And so he said, you're in, you know, I'll make you a founding partner. And then I had to go back to Germany and still graduate my, my bachelor's. And so I was working. I was uh, doing my studies and I tried to have a social life, which really didn't work out. And I didn't even have an agreement. I remember my dad was like, okay, so show me the agreement that you guys have so you're not going to get screwed over because I wasn't even getting paid. I said, yeah, yeah, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. All I had was a handshake. So I took a monumental leap of faith. And then after I graduated, three days later, I said goodbye, Germany. I packed my bag, literally, on a student visa, not even on a tourist visa. I came over to New York and said, all right, let's make this happen. And it was hardcore. And we did make it happen, you know, but it was that ultimate leap of faith. And it came from the notion of, I finally want to be free. I finally want to emerge out of this cocoon that I had been immersed in for so long. And I felt that here in Germany, I couldn't pull that off. So I needed a completely fresh start. And that's what led me to the US. Yeah, change in environment can do that, right? Uh, sort of a an external metaphor for uh, transforming or, or changing identities, if you will, almost. Uh, exactly. Very James Bond-esque, right? And, and so, <laughs> so you land here, and did I hear correctly? It was a shoe brand, uh, like a yes. like a sports shoe kind of custom fashion? shoe, custom shoes out of Italy. Custom shoes out of Italy. Whoa. Okay. Mm -hmm. Super cool. Yeah. Wait a minute. I feel like I've seen something online like that, maybe. Uh, and Good I chance. You you could like yeah, you could like customize how it looks and then have it delivered to you. Yeah. It was a nice sneaker. It was like a Stacy Adams kind of uh, <laughs> feel. No, super cool. Okay, so. So that clearly was successful, which led to because now I'm trying to I'm trying to bridge the gap between how you got mm -hmm. here, where you are now, yeah. where, you know, yes. you become a mindset coach, TEDx speaker, you know, all, the list goes on. How where did so this succeeds and you make an exit or what happens? So great question. So this is, you know, going back a little bit when I was suffering so much during my pilot career. I was so afraid of that people would see me struggle that they would then finally find out that I'm really just a failure. And so I did everything possible to put on the mask and make sure that people don't see that. However, I needed to find a solution to be able to survive. It was that bad. So through divine intervention on YouTube, I found Les Brown and Tony Robbins. Mm -hmm. And the first time, I mean, I'd never heard about motivational speaking, coaching or anything in Germany that practically didn't exist. I was glued to the screen. It was just like boom, an opening. And I promise, and I swear to you, that was the moment where inside of me something said, this, this is your path. And it, it was so clear to me. So I, starting from that moment, I kept telling the whole world, one day this is going to be me. One day I will free people, help people free their minds from the thoughts that are holding them back. And it would take me another seven years to even start doing something with it. So I would share with students, my journey of how I went from depressed 
to international entrepreneur, and they would listen, and they would listen, and I would share practical tips that I learned from the books that I read in the seminars I went to, and people would start coming back to me saying, wow, dude, this is amazing, I feel so much better, and I'm like, okay, I clearly have a talent for this. So when I arrived in New York, I told my then business partner, dude, one day, just know that one day I will make that shift. I'm not here because I want to blow up this business. I will with you. However, my real true goal is this. And he said, okay, I'm fine with that. So I built it on the side. So six days all in sundries, one day coaching. And, you know, I was just doing anything I could. I went to Toastmasters clubs. I uh, volunteered uh, at universities, did everything free. Just give it away, give it away, give it away. Coached people for free. And at some point I started charging money and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And then I was at this stage where I'm like, okay, this is working, but I don't have the time. And I don't feel that connected to New York anymore because you know how New York is. Hustle, go fast, hard. And I was like, I need time to go within because I can't just sell people this idea that, hey, I'm a coach. I did this seminar here. I read this book. I got to live this way. I got to be what I'm selling. And that required me to live my dream, which was travel through exotic places all over the world and host workshops and work with companies and individual leaders. And I did. And then, you know, we decided to sell the company. And I said, au revoir, New York. Thank you for everything. I'll be back as a visitor. And uh, here I am. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Before I go any further, Jason, <laughs> as That's someone else, yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> That's a lot to unpack. And how, what was the time frame of all that? I'm just curious. So in New York, I spent a total of four years. So okay. within four years, we built the company. I built my coaching. We sold the company and I, I, I exited. Right. right. So that's pretty fast, actually, to, to go through that whole process, right? And But this is what I love about people that just entrepreneurs, period, or business owners, whatever you want, whatever bucket you want to throw yourself in, um, is once you get a hold of it, you'll run it down no matter what, right? And not not everybody's built that way. And that that to me is what really, it really lends to success when not, not only are you that way, but you surround yourself with other people that are that way, right? Because then you're seeing other people do it. I mean, there is absolutely a reason why everybody does not own a business, right? Be because it's difficult, right? And it's like, how, you know, I I've said this before, and that's Hollywood has this perception of what it is, right? But typically, almost every business, if you rip the curtain back, there's a bit of a three-ring circus going on behind there. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Not always, but I mean, there are times when that is that way, right? And, but that's just part of it. It's part of, it's part of owning something that's yours because you get to build it the way you want to build it. And every once in a while, you screw it up. <laughs> that's the behind the curtain circus, right? So, sure. um, but I, you've got a great story and how it connects into what you do now today. And 
all of our stories, gosh, they're so similar. It's just like a, just a little bit of a tweak storyline, right? But you could almost plug in person A, person B, right? True. <laughs> so, but it's really cool. And uh, yeah, uh, I look forward to like learning more about what you got going on. Yeah. Which which Philip will pull all of that out of you. <laughs> <laughs> so now I want to I want to take this a step further because now that we have the groundwork laid down, uh, you have a a method that involves self doubt that you've really cultivated, and now we have context for it, right? Where it comes from, because yeah. while externally all things look great, intern it doesn't matter until internally things look great, feel great. Right. So I usually ask later the idea of like, Oh, if you could leave behind something for a, uh, a young person wanting to make that leap or maybe somebody down on their luck and here's how you overcome an obstacle. But this is also a perfect opportunity with your episode in particular, our conversation here to really open up this idea because a lot of what does keep people from taking a leap to go into business or overcoming an obstacle is some internal mechanism. And you have made leaps, bounds, and flights across the world to try to get behind some of this reasoning. And while I imagine no thing ever uncovers all stones that have been laid out on the floor, you have done a lot of work to get to this place and specifically with that goal in mind. So please reveal what you've learned to some degree, because obviously I'm not asking you to, to give <laughs> your, your eight step program here, but what, what do you understand about self-doubt that maybe a few people might've missed along the way, like a stop yeah. that they missed on a train? Yeah. So, so first of all, you need to get up at three thirty a.m. every single day. <laughs> take a cold shower. <laughs> People like next next episode. They like this one. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why do you get this guy on there? <laughs> so, so when it comes to self doubt, the re the reason so many people get stuck in self doubt and self doubt shows up in two ways. Either it slows down your process of taking action. So you get, you know, into overthinking, procrastination, all of these things, or it takes you away from the ability to actually enjoy the life you have. You might have a seven, eight figure business or six figure, whatever that thing is. You might have the perfect partner, the perfect body, the perfect house. Well, everything looks amazing. However, there's the constant voice in the back of your mind. What if it doesn't last? What if it's not good enough? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, you know, self-doubt is a conversation in which your mind questions your ability to find a solution to a perceived problem. And it's not, most of the time, it's not even a real thing. It's a perceived thing. And where most people get stuck is they think self-doubt is the enemy, right? You, if you read personal development books, oftentimes, you know, you got to overcome self-doubt, self-doubt is the enemy. You know, you hear that negative voice that, the, there's so many terms for that. And, you know, to, to, to Jason, you know, behind him, it says war room. So the podcast is obviously called war. Room. And most people are at war with themselves, which is the foundation of all suffering in life. It doesn't matter what you have, unless you have a war within yourself, you will never be happy. You will never be free. Never, ever. It doesn't matter what you do. And so, when self-doubt comes, what, what do most people do? They fight it. 
You know, they try a bunch of affirmations. If I no, don't do that now. They go hard into work. You know, they give themselves an extra extra hour, deny themselves an hour of rest. They use, you know, they, they use porn, they use alcohol, they use weed, whatever. You know, we have an infinite amounts of ways for us to not connect with the voice that's in the mind. I said, no, 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 not right now. So what we're doing with that is we are just pushing it away. We are suppressing. And the mind cannot tell the difference between I want and I don't want. The mind will always hear, oh, okay, I don't want to doubt myself. So doubt, doubt. So when doubt comes, the secret recipe, you know, and I talk about this in my TEDx, so it's super simple. See self-doubt as an invitation to give yourself love. Because doubt is only there because you think you are not equipped to get to where you want to go. And where you want to go, by the way, is not an amount of money, a body weight, or a perfect partner, or the amount of times you want to get laid. It's the emotion that's waiting for you after the goal. You know, you say, okay, once I make the first million, woo, I want to feel so fucking awesome. I'm going to be so free. Okay, so what you want is freedom. Okay, freedom is an inside thing. So giving yourself a little break, giving yourself a moment where you can take a, a deep breath and you relax your shoulders and you give yourself that hug that you didn't get when you were younger, which is why you're still going so freaking hard all the time because you're trying to get somewhere so you can have permission to get this love. If you give that yourself several times during the day, what happens? You become unstoppable. Because the only thing that stops you ever is you. And specifically, it's the conversation in your mind that triggers the emotions in your body. So if you can short circuit that, you intervene every time you hear the voice in your mind, sack, sack, okay. You know, it's like the car. Imagine this you're driving the car, going down straight line, and then all of a sudden the car goes ding, 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 reserve petrol. If you fill up the car, what? what do you do this? Are oh, you stupid fucking car? How dare you tell me that I need to put in petrol? Stop bothering me. I got enough shit going on. How dare you? No, you don't do that. That would be ridiculous. What do you do is, oh, oh, great. Thanks. Thanks for letting me know. Where's the next step? Refill. But if it's in the mind, how dare I have self-doubt? I shouldn't have self-doubt. I got six figures. I got seven figures. You know, I got two wives. I, how is that possible? I shouldn't doubt myself. It's like, no, you keep fighting. So if you can do that alone, I promise you, your life is going to transform in ways you cannot even fathom. Man, I have definitely had some days where when I got the gaslight, that was the last thing I needed to force this happen to. No, <laughs> I, I love the idea that you're putting down about changing our relationship with uh, the trigger of hesitation, right? Like, because you're right. I was just thinking about this the other day. I forgot. We've all heard this before of the, uh, if you spoke to yourself, uh, if you spoke to your friends, the way you speak to yourself, you'd probably not have any friends anymore. Yep. Right. For like a large portion of people, that is absolutely true. And changing your relationship to that idea of hesitation, to that idea of stopping, like you're lucky you even noticed that you're hesitating and, and self-doubting, right? Some people don't even have that. And sure. that's not good. It's probably a healthy sign that you have some degree of doubt. Like you said, it's not something you should hate. It's something to look at as an opportunity to yes. take a moment to refill your cup, right? Exactly. Yes. Oh, yeah. I really, I really like that because it's a great reminder, especially for high performers. Mm. It is a, it is a thing that high performers, like you said, part of the reason they drive as hard as they do has a lot to do with some kind of hold they're trying to fill. 
And I know that for right. a fact, right? And it and it manifests in one of two ways, either you know, productive or not productive. And that's where people run into trouble because you can achieve great heights only for it to, you know, uh, we don't have to look very far in society and in major media to see what happens to high performers who never fill that hole once they achieve that. And so yeah. it's a very important conversation to be having for sure. Yeah. Um, with that said, for anybody who has finally understood what it is that you do and where you're coming from, where would you prefer for them to connect with you? And is it like a social feed? Is it a website email list? So I'm, I'm very active on the, on the social media fronts, LinkedIn, Instagram. I also have a website where you can find all information. You know, it's my, my full name, MarioLanzarotti.com. And yeah, if you want to connect, you want to have a chat about, you know, what's going on in your life and how, how I might provide some tips, hacks, and insights to 10x that. And not just 10x it in the way that you create results, but also the way you enjoy because if you can't enjoy what you create, then why are you doing it in the first place? Yeah, good point. There's there's an interesting, so the military, because I spent 23 years in the military, retired from the military, and a big reoccurring theme, well, probably not big, but I mean, it's there's definitely a percentage, right, of people that retire or leave the military that they they in turn then can't cope with life, right? Because yeah. they've had all this structure, all these things, all these expectations on them for all these years. And just one day it shuts yeah. off, it's gone, right? Camaraderie's gone, responsibility's gone, all these things are gone and they fall hugely into depression, suicide, mm -hmm. all these things happen, right? So, you know, it makes you really wonder why the brain makes that changeover like that after all those years mentoring thousands of people and having so much responsibility and all these things. And then all of a sudden it's just gone. Right. And it's, uh, I, I don't know that anybody's truly ever figured it out yet, but, uh, but it's, uh, it's definitely something that affects the military people in a big way. Um, and, you know, it's one of my missions. I won't get into that, but is the stopping suicide in the veteran pool of things. But, but I definitely see the connection there with the work you do to how much good you could do in that group of people. So, you know, if I were to say, who's a great group of people that you could really affect. It would be that group of people in a very big way. So it's good. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I can yeah. see that too. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, with that said, we know where to connect with you. We now also see a possibility unfolding before us. <laughs> if you could have invited anybody to, to be here uh, in this conversation today to chime in, listen to what we're talking about, uh, maybe even reflect together with you or just listen, who would you have loved to have had here and why? Mm, great question. And I will say Jesus Christ. <laughs> and that's not a religiously motivated answer for me. Mm, it is, I see him as a, as one of the spiritually ascended masters and one of the people that really embody 
love and peace. And for the longest time in my life, I would disconnect when people would say that love and peace because I would see it as like a soft, weak kind of thing, mostly like for women that, you know, they're like all nice. Today, I understand that love and peace are the greatest forces in this cosmos. There's nothing more powerful than love and peace. And Jesus Christ is the embodiment of that. I mean, if someone can get crucified and say these incredibly wise and powerful words, forgive them, Father, for they do not know. And if we take these words on to ourselves, we realize that there are no mistakes because we are not aware of what we're doing. As hard as that can sound, the most the reason so many of us blame ourselves and stay stuck in misery and depression and overwhelm and even commit suicide is because of a lack of forgiveness, because we're still haunted by the past. I should have, I could have done something different. And Jesus Christ said it. No, you couldn't have. You didn't know what you were doing. You were absolutely blind. For if you weren't, if you were truly awake, you would have never done that. So this is the kind of person that I would love to spend even just five minutes with. It's a really valid point, the way you brought that up, because, yeah, I'm someone who specifically can guarantee almost once a day, tell myself, oh, I know better. I shouldn't be doing that. Like quite literally, it's the thing that I tell myself at least once a day. And I act like I know better, but you're right. If I really would have known better, it wouldn't have ever come up as an issue. And so there's this expectation where perfectionism is really the word for that. Exactly. There's, you assume that you should have known all, be all, do all under that sun. Yeah. That's that's a very valid point. I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because I imagine a lot of entrepreneurs, not all, some really have a way of keeping themselves humble and just keeping their head down, and they uh, they follow sort of that Robert Green mastery, knowing that you know they were never special to begin with. So they, as far as they're concerned, hard work is life. And then there are people who have gifts, and almost because of those gifts, they now have self doubt. And at the same time, while having self-doubt, there's this interesting thing of like this super ego where they also believe that they were supposed to be something special the whole time because they were given gifts in the beginning of their life. And then you run into this chasm that you can't cross. And so I'm really glad that you've addressed so many things and chosen this as the path you want to take in your life because it is essential. And like Jason said, there are avenues that if you haven't explored yet will also double the impact, triple the impact of what you're doing. So those are my closing thoughts. And I want to let Jason roll this out as usual. Yeah. You know, the one thing I grew up in a very perfectionist household. Uh, you know, my, my father was very much a perfectionist. He was a, uh, an old Vietnam veteran army guy. You know, I went on to do the military thing too, but, but, you know, I remember one thing that really stuck with me that I'm very cognizant of now, um, and I have been my whole life, is everything I used to do, my dad would come right back around behind me and do it again. Hmm. Just to make sure it was perfect, right? So he was very much in that perfect perfection mindset. And, and that's extremely annoying as just a human being, right? And, but he used to do it with everything. 
you know, something on the farm would break, you'd weld it, he'd come back and weld it again, or he'd come back and make sure that the lug nuts were tight on the tractors or, you know, and it was extremely frustrating. It was part of the reason why I was like, hasta luego, right? <laughs> you know, growing up uh, as a kid. But I, we go through life and we learn lessons like that. And we have two choices. We can choose to, you know, really adapt to those things that we're taught and then do those things with others like your kids. But like my kids, I'm not that way with them. It, my kids are free thinkers, man. I mean, big time. It's like, you do what you do. My, my old, oldest son, he always says, dad, do you boo. That's his thing. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> right? and so it, it's, we have an actual chance to change a lot of the way people think today. Right. And I think we're already seeing some of that happening, right. With, the way people think in this old school mindset of things. And, and I'm like in between some of that still to where, you know, I still think some of those ways too, but, but uh, anyway, I just, I think there's a lot of good that you can do in touching that veteran community. And, you know, I'd love to get with you after the fact and talk more about that for sure. But yeah. Yeah, in the interest of time here. Um, thanks for being here. Um, really appreciate uh, you coming on the show. You've got a great thing going. You're affecting a lot of people's lives. Um, and we all have the same hours in a week. Thanks for stopping by and taking a few with us. It's much appreciated. Jason, Philip, thank you for having me. It has been a plum pleasing pleasure, as my mentor Les Brown always says. And uh, I look forward to more. Right on. Right. Cheers. Cheers. All righty. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.